Welcome to This Week in Location-Based Marketing with your hosts, Asif Khan and Abriana Lopez. All right, we are back with your favorite podcast of the week. This is This Week in Location-Based Marketing, episode number 404, and we're recording live on February the 27th. Yes, there's only one day left in this month. And uh, yeah, but it's still it's still February, at least in Toronto. It's snowing right now. Um, <laughs> how about you, Abriana? What's new and exciting? Oh, gosh, we had two beautiful sunny days and then um, the rain came back today. So kind of a bummer. I mean, we've just had so much rain in Atlanta, like it's been like a Seattle type of a winter. I think they said that um, our winter had the second most rainfall in Atlanta history so um, I'm just over the rain. I'm ready for like sunshine and getting the kids out of the house. Um, I just can't. I can't do it anymore. I can't. I need. I need sun. Um, but besides that, um, things are good. I mean, I think spring is really on the way. It's at least warming up. We don't have any snow. Um, so just you know, moving ahead. We've got some. Um, we've got an LBMA event coming up next month in March mm-hmm. for Atlanta chapter that we are doing with a mobile marketing group that's local here and kind of just um, looking to relaunch itself. So that should be fun. I'll have more details on speakers and agenda coming up in yeah. the um, the next weeks, but that's about it. Yeah, about that's you? cool. Yeah. Well, I'm, uh, I'm back from, uh, from vacation. So uh, uh, it was hot. It was nice. It was sunny. Um, you know, can't complain. But uh, back to reality of uh, of cold and uh, snow now. So, but yeah. uh, they say they say that this uh, winter should be done in the next two weeks here in Canada, or at least in Toronto. So I'm 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 waiting. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Anyhow, we've got a good show for you this week. Uh, three industry news nice. stories, three member news stories, and a quick little bit of research I want to highlight uh, in the middle uh, this week from uh, from our friends at Bliss. But I'll let you uh, uh, kick it off. Yeah, so I'm going to kick it off with a story from 180 by 2. And it's been almost a year since we talked about this company um, you know, on the show. And they have now launched something called Echo. And Echo is their B2B or kind of like account-based marketing platform. Um, so this is for – it's like an intense solution – I think it's kind of new in the market, but I know that account-based marketing or ABM has been like really huge and just starting to really grow and explode in the way that people are connecting different um, intent or signals or information that they're getting um, in, and being able to actually say like, hey, this you know company like Oracle is looking for a new security system or they're looking for this or like whatever it is that they're actually in the market for so that businesses who provide those solutions can connect with the businesses who are looking for those solutions. Um, So they're calling it a cross-channel location-based B2B intent solution platform, um, which is a mouthful, but uh, obviously all of those things play an important role in in, uh, making sure that you get in touch with the right people and the decision makers of these businesses. And they're doing this by, um, they're utilizing billions of buying intent signals. So um, through different companies, different platforms, they have some precise location intelligence, um, and then they have some AI that they've worked into. So some things are like 
streaming web, uh, streaming web signals, raw location data, proximity signals, SDKs, beacons, Wi-Fi networks, um, IP intelligence, uh, technographics, firmographics, titles, functions, and past purchase data. Um, so, you know, like I said, I think we're continu continuing to see these account-based marketing uh, products and services grow. Um, so I am sure that this will be probably a, um, a good growth strategy for 180 by two. Yeah, I, I, I'm excited by this. I think it's a it's a it's a good uh, move for them and and uh, for the industry overall. I think uh, you know um, focusing on on buyers' intent uh, I think is is key, right? I mean, I think it's one thing to say people are here, people are there, you know, people are moving from here to there, um, but like trying to understand are they actually ready to buy something? Uh, I think is key, right? And and so being able to kind of have a uh, a place where you can go to kind of uh, have access to that level of data, I think is is valuable and interesting for the industry. Um, you know, we talk a lot at the LBMA, you know, about that cake and the, that sort of gap between layer two of the cake and, and, and the top of the cake, which is the transaction level, right? And so I think there's a huge demand in the industry for, for right now to know that, yes, people are here, yes, people are in the store, uh, but what are they looking at? What are they, you know, what are they interested in? And are they actually buying the thing, right? Um, the conversion uh, piece and being able to measure that, I think is where a lot of the focus still has to, to be uh, right now because there, we don't have great solutions yet uh, to that. Lots of people trying uh, and some yeah. are, are, are getting, uh, you know, making progress for sure. And this for me is a step uh, in the right direction. So uh, I'm encouraged by uh, what they're doing with this, uh, this Echo platform. Yeah, I actually got to catch up with Eric um, this past week, so I really got to hear a little bit more of like the nitty-gritty details and everything that they have baked into this product, and it was really refreshing. It seems like they have considered literally almost everything, um, and I like that they're doing kind of a layered approach. It's not a one-size-fits-all. It is a layered approach, and they're utilizing different sources of data. Um, they're filtering it properly, and I just like how they're thinking about it. So we'll keep following that story. Yeah, excellent. All right, moving on to our uh, our second story. Uh, this is an interesting one. It's uh, about a company called Outdoor Z. Uh, that's O U T D O R S Y. Uh, they're billing themselves as the Airbnb for RVs. Uh, it's founded by a guy, uh, co-founded by a guy named Jeff Cabins, uh, who basically uh, you know was traveling around and he uh, was looking for accommodations and. Um, you know, found this unmet need for uh, not just you know staying at a at somebody's house, but you know, in in outdoor settings uh, at like you know Grand Canyon or Zion National Park or you know different things like that. Um, you know, being able to to uh, to stay in an RV and most people, you know, we're not going to go buy RVs just because we're going on a trip. Um, but there are a lot of RVs out there. Um, in fact, there's 18 million registered RVs uh, in the U.S. and uh, most of them sit idle uh, the bulk of the time, 97% of the time, they say, according to their research. And so why not try to monetize this? Um, and I think this is smart. I think it's a, it's a great idea. We've seen this in a number of different industries, whether it's Airbnb or uh, with uh, with cars. Um, you know, I remember talking to uh, one of the founders of this company called Flight Car uh, a while back, some years ago now, that had built this platform where if you were a traveler like myself and flying all the time and you know you drove your car to the airport you could leave it there and basically rent it uh, through a plat through their platform to somebody else who was coming in 
uh, they would take care of insurance and cleaning and, and, and all that sort of stuff. And, and so I think there's definitely room for more of these types of things. And, and I like what they're doing here. Um, you know, basically you jump on the platform, you can um, set your, your location and reserve a, a vehicle. Uh, you pick it up from the owners themselves, and they kind of walk you through their own vehicle and, and kind of you know all the you know all the little um, you know features and all that sort of stuff and uh, all of that. And uh, so I think it, I think it's really cool. I, I, I like this idea. Um, I think if I was going to go on an RV trip, I, I might go this route. So. <laughs> all right. So, I'll see if you can hear the sound. But hang on, this is so important for this story. When did you get the gentleman uh, on wheels? Oh, that there, that's, a, that's an RV. <laughs> <Did you hear> that? <laughs> nice, yeah, I did. <laughs> that's yeah. all I can think about when I hear an RV. Now, that, there's an RV. Um, name that movie. Do you know what it is? I don't. Christmas Vacation, Chevy Chase. Ah, uh, there you go. There you go. One is Crazy Brother, classic, Eddie Conklin. Classic Chevy Chase movies. There you go. I <laughs> love those movies. Um, um, so, yeah, I I like this story. So, I, um, I, I'm kind of outdoorsy. I don't camp and stuff as much as I used to, but I actually, probably about a year ago, I was looking um, at renting an RV to do like a family little vacation getaway to the beach. But whenever I was looking at the the ability to like rent them, they were much more expensive than a hotel. So I'm like, I'm, I'm not um, opposed to renting an RV, but whenever a nice hotel like on the beach is less expensive than the RV, um, I'm like, yeah, no, that's not going to happen. So I think this is great because obviously we know Airbnb typically tends to be like very affordable and you get a little bit more of like a cultural experience being in a home versus a hotel. So I would definitely check this out. Um, and I, and I like this, I do think there's a lot of room for growth. Um, and something like an RV is like really expensive, right? I mean, yeah. it's expensive to own. So if you can subsidize that cost by renting it out, I think that's a, a great option. But yeah. Yeah, I think it's smart. So uh, yeah, I would love to check this out and learn more about it. Um, yeah, and if and if you're in the market for uh, going on an RV type of adventure, check out Outdoorsy. There you go. All right. <laughs> Okay, I have a next story, but I have, as a side note, if you hear like some weird noises, look what I just got today. Oh, wow. Cool. It's, uh, it's the Anki Vector. And um, I'm, not, I'm not really sure how to make him quiet, but he just keeps talking to me and like looking at me. It's kind of awkward. <laughs> We're still getting to know each other. <laughs> nice. <laughs> All right. So our next story is um, from a company called Outer. And this is actually really interesting to me. So th this is an outdoor furniture company. Um, I think they're based out of L.A., somewhere in California. And what's really interesting is it's these two people who came together um, and said like, hey, you know, outdoor furniture should be comfortable, it should be durable, it should be made better, you know, should be able to endure the weather um, and all of those things. Um, and it should be something that's like a little bit more cost effective than some of the higher end. Um, so I think that they are saying that it's like really high quality, like a restoration hardware, um, but it is more of a, um, what's, I can't remember what they compared it to, but like a middle, maybe like a, not a Wayfair, but like probably like a Z Gallery type mm. of a, a pricing point, um, West Elm pricing point, West I think Elm. is what they said. Yeah. So, um, and then one of the founders of this company's um, family actually has a um, factory in China, so that works out really well. Um, so he had to, had a, a lot of uh, hand in like the design and everything. So 
Anyways, they are a direct-to-consumer marketplace. They are kind of cutting out the middlemen, trying to you know undercut some of the costs and still provide really high quality. So um, what they're doing, though, which is really interesting, is that they're putting this like sharing economy spin on the whole showroom thing. So they're utilizing backyards of clients or maybe even prospective clients um, that will get paid to use their their you know space as a showroom. So they'll provide a more like realistic and compelling um, you know picture of the product, right? Like actually being used. So um, potential buyers can check the site. They can make an appointment. They can see like how the sofa looks in an actual backyard. Um, and this is crazy. The outdoor furniture market is a nine billion dollar a year industry. That's really big. I did not know that. Um, so, but there's only like a handful of approved hosts right now. They're kind of doing the same checking mechanisms that they would use for uh, like Airbnb and Uber, right? So they want to make sure that people aren't crazy and they go through. Mm-hmm. I think it's like nine points that they have to go through all these different background checks and they're really stringent. But they're saying that uh, right now everything is within the LA area. So if you're in LA and you're looking for outdoor furniture for the summer, um, well, I mean, it's kind of always summer in LA, but you know, if you're looking for outdoor furniture, this might be a great option for you. Um, But also they have about 500 applicants. So they're going through these checks and they're going to ramp up in other cities very soon. Um, so potential buyers can actually like also make an appointment and see how this, their sofa looks in their backyard. So it's not just current clients. It's kind of cool. I think it's very cool. It's kind of cool. like the test and drive, right? Like yeah, no, for sure. For sure. I think it's smart. I think it's, it, it's super cool. Uh, I just went through last year. We, we re- had to replace all of our outdoor furniture. It just was getting old. And, and so I, I, I'm not surprised it's a, it's a huge industry, uh, uh, in the billions of dollars because, this stuff's not cheap. <laughs> I can tell you that. Um, you know, like outdoor furniture, good outdoor furniture uh, that's going to last you for a while is uh, is not cheap. But uh, you know, and and I think being able to visualize it, being able to see it in in setting in, in somebody's backyard makes sense to me. I think it's uh, it's a great idea uh, to kind of use uh, other people's backyards as your showrooms. Um, it reminded me as I was reading the story about. A similar project that we talked about maybe a year ago now about Honda in France. Um, so Honda doesn't have a lot of car dealerships where you can go in and look at cars in France. What they have set up is a, is a platform where uh, you can go to the driveway of a Honda owner uh, and they put branding all around it and, and they set these things up and you can book a test drive and all of that from somebody who actually owns a Honda. Um, and, and basically using people's driveways as showrooms. Um, so I like, it's very similar kind of story here. Um, and I think that's really, you know, in a lot of ways, um, you know, kind of cutting out that whole, you know, I need, I need to go pay for space and, and all the capital costs that go, uh, with that in terms of having a physical storefront presence. Uh, if you can leverage, um, your fan base, your advocates, your followers, uh, your customers, um, you know, in this way and, 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 you know, whether that's your, you know, building them into a loyalty program or you're building them into some sort of rev share, you know, or commission or whatever it is, um, to, uh, to get them to participate. I think it's smart. Um, it's probably a whole lot cheaper than, you know, uh, operating a physical storefront, uh, for a lot of these guys. So I, I, I'm excited by it. I think it's, it's a great, uh, a great, uh, use of technology and, and, uh, and location. Um, and uh, would love to see these guys. We're actually going to do a panel uh, at Retail Loco in April uh, this year on the sharing economy. So, uh, guys, if you're listening, open invitation to come and uh, and share on on the panel. 
Um, so yeah, um, that's it. That's all I gotta say about it. So, <laughs> pop up, pop up IKEA kitchens, and pop you know now it's pop up uh, <laughs> outdoor lounge spaces. <laughs> yeah, for sure. All right, so that's our three industry news stories for this week. I'm gonna shift over uh, now with uh, before we go to the member news, and just talk about. Um, a little bit of research that I found quite interesting that uh, was put out by Bliss uh, very recently. And um, they're talking about uh, consumers' willingness to forgo privacy uh, in exchange for something, a price, um, a trade-off, if you will. Uh, so new research from Bliss, um, and they say that, um, that uh, consumers are actually more aware of how their personal information is being used today than they were last year. Uh, with those ages 55 and above showing the greatest level of awareness. So I thought, I thought that was interesting, uh, number one, to, to see it from, from that age demographic point of view. Uh, another interesting uh, factoid from their research is 60% of consumers would unveil their personally identifiable information to advertisers either for free or at a price. 57% of those respondents place a $10 minimum on the value of their identity. Um, so, you know, I think there's this very clear notion coming from the re whether it's this research or just in general, we're seeing it, um, you know, in our own in our own research and, and other studies I've read recently that, you know, people are certainly aware, um, you know, at high degrees uh, in all age groups right now that they're being tracked and their location is there. Um, but they want they expect a value uh, exchange. Uh, we've been talking about that for from from the beginning for 10 years now. Um, but assigning it here like a minimum $10 value for their identity, I think is interesting, right? Um, and to kind of take that uh, one step further, they say location data uh, in particular, 82% of consumers in the Bliss survey said that they know that companies are actively tracking their location data. 33% of those same people say uh, they've disabled their location tracking on their phones, okay? So a third of them. But 15% of those people said they would re-enable their location uh, tracking in exchange for a guarantee that they would only see coupons or deals or information from places that they had recently been or that they care about. So the reality is when you do this thing right and you do it in a valuable exchange formula, people want it. That's, that's, that's the bottom line here. And we've been saying this for years, but here's some more data to back it up. I mean... Uh, I just want to know, like, is this $10 like a one-time fee or is this like an ongoing basis? <laughs> um, I feel like that's kind of undervaluing yourself. Uh, you know, you're worth more, people. Yeah. Um, but and no, at the same time, I do think that it's very interesting that people are like, just show me something of value. Don't just be reselling my data. Um, and you can have it, you know. I think that that's. I don't know. That stat is very interesting. I think that it's it's up to the market and the industry to continue to provide value, right? That's what we have to do as marketers, as technologists. We have to provide value to consumers, not just the businesses. Yeah, absolutely. So, but uh, I, again, we've been saying this for a long, long time, and uh, you know, like good on Bliss for for kind of you know trying to get some real data around this uh, space, and and uh, I think this is good. I think this is it says clearly, and it, it validates exactly what we've been talking about for a long time, and and uh, you know whether you know we have similar data, but uh, um, check it out, Bliss, um, new research. All right, let's shift over to our member news now. We have three stories for you this week. 
Um, and uh, I'll kick off the uh, the first part here, which is Tide. Yes, the uh, laundry uh, cleaning detergent product from Procter & Gamble uh, is getting a little Uber-like. Uh, right now they're launching their first of its kind, a mobile dry cleaning service from Tide itself. Uh, this is 24-7 laundry service, franchise-based. Uh, it's all going to be branded as Tide. Um, basically, um, you know, there's a, a mobile app. Uh, you um, sort of t uh, find your closest Tide drop-off location. Uh, it's available 24-7. Drop spots are going to be in multiple outlets, uh, from gas stations to storefronts to office lobbies. Uh, and all over the place and uh basically when you, you know so you drop your stuff off when the laundry is ready you get a, a notification through the app and you go pick up uh, your garment bag and uh you never have to uh, even step out of your vehicle they bring it right to your car so um valet service for clothes brought to you by time <laughs> and a mobile app I like this actually. It's funny um, the timeliness of this story because it was like a week ago. My husband and I were talking about um, how there is there is I think um, <laughs> the opportunity for concierge type services that aren't necessarily directly related to like your car or whatever or your specific office that should be available. So like a concierge app for dry cleaning or getting your oil changed or you know like. Yeah. Getting my, I mean, my husband was like, I, I said, I think the car is not running very good. And he's like, you were like 2000 miles past your oil change. Like no wonder. And so I'm like, I just don't have time. You know, I'm at work and then I have yeah. kids and I'm definitely not going to sit in the oil change place with kids. Like that's just crazy. So things like this that are convenience factors that are just about coordinating that people will pay a premium for. And I think it's a great idea. Um, and I think that it's great that Tide is doing that because Tide is like, hey, we're in the laundering business. It doesn't matter if it's like, you know, uh, in your home or now it's going to be like a concierge opportunity as well. So I love that they're thinking outside of the box and staying relevant um, in a time where, you know, people tend to be focused on like, hey, we make detergent. And they're like, no, hey, we, we help people get their clothes clean um, and have a better life. So I just, I think that's... Um, Pretty genius. Yeah, in a lot of ways, like I, you know, it's interesting that they kind of talked about it as an Uber-like service because, you know, I, I I almost think about the way Tide is positioning themselves here as kind of like an Uber, like you know, Uber and Lyft are, are really not, uh, you know, just companies that you know um, are about moving, you know, giving you a ride, you know, from one place to the next. They're true delivery logistics companies now, right? Like they're delivering Christmas trees, they're delivering, you know, all sorts of things, food and this, that, and the other thing. Um, and uh, in a lot of ways, you know, you have to sort of think about Tide now as we're all about laundry, the full ecosystem of laundry, not just, you know, selling you detergent. Like we can do your laundry for you, you know, and, and, and other things. So, um, you know, so I, I think you're going to see a lot of brands start to move in this type of direction where it's about kind of more of a, you know, horizontal play across, you know, everything that they do and, and how that integrates with other things as well as kind of moving a little more vertically uh, up the stack. So there you go. Well, along the same lines of laundry, um, LG, who makes great washers and dryers, has now integrated um, Amazon Dash into their full suite of appliances. Now, this is really interesting because 
um, you know, we just heard the story about Amazon Dash in Germany right. and um, all of that nonsense. But, you know, this is not so that you could be like your dishwasher can reorder, um, you know, dishwashing detergent. Your washer and dryer can reorder, um, you know, fabric softener sheets or whatever it may be. So I, I like that they are integrating this and they're saying, hey, let's just build it right in. We don't need any extra buttons. So you just link it up with your account and they can all, customers will also be able to control um, this features using the smartphone app or voice commands with like Alexa or Google Assistant on certain models. So that's really interesting to me. What they're doing is they're using, so on the technology side, they're using an LG Smart Thin Q mobile application um, and then they connect the dash replacement to um, the LG Smart Laundry and dishwasher appliances and then they just link the Amazon account with it. So, um, I mean, this makes sense to me if you're going to, have something like this, like let's eliminate, let's minimize the process, right? Like I don't need a button that then goes to my app that then I check out on. So now I just have my actual washer that talks to my app. So it's less stuff, less clutter and buttons and things of that nature. So I think this is smart. I would, I would expect to see other brands follow suit. Um, and, ho and, you know, I would love to also see, like, the smart, you know, more like Instacart integrating with the um, the refrigerator, you know, more of these types of connections where you're just getting on usage, like, everything is right there and being able to do that. Yeah, it, it's, I think it's a, a very, very simple and and kind of no-brainer use case of, uh, of the Dash technology, right? This whole idea of replenishment. Um, you know, we don't need the buttons anymore. You can just build it into the to the appliances. In this case, we've talked in the past about Brother, for example, uh, building uh, ink cartridge replenishment using Dash uh, technology into into the printers. You know, I'm the guy who's the printer's always running out. You know, Megan's got a you know big school thing due tomorrow, and all of a sudden I got to go run to the store to get ink, right? Because you know, like, because I, I didn't plan for that. If the thing can order its own ink, like, that's great to me. I would know. Um, yeah. Right? Like, so I, I think that, uh, you know, this is just about, at the end of the day, uh, as you just talked about with, with Tide, too, right? It's about, we live in a in a, uh, a time-starved, uh, you know, sort of economy right now where we're just constantly busy doing things. And um, if we can if we can save people time, uh, maybe not save them money, but save people time, uh, which is what how I see these types of things playing out. I think all the better, right? Because if we can spend spend that time, you know, in human interactions uh, with our family and our friends and our whatever, uh, then you know that's that's where we need to be. So, well, at the end of the day, your time is worth money, and you have to decide like, is it worth me making that extra trip to save five dollars, or is it worth me ordering this now? You know, like. I love the fact that I can order Instacart at 8.30 p.m. and I know that I'm going to have milk for the kids in the morning, you know, because it's going to be there in an hour and, and it's just easy. And the idea of like, okay, you know, that cost me, what, five bucks that I tipped somebody and the delivery was free because I spent over the minimum. So, I mean, was my time more worthwhile being at home? I would say yes, like my, than going out for $5. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think it, it, it speaks to this whole sort of space of, you know, like not, you know, the, the smart smartification of everything, right? Whether it's the buildings or the appliances or the technology in those buildings and how those things all talk to each other in, in a sort of machine to machine type of, uh, you know, scenario. Right. 
interestingly enough, though, I think there's the other side of it, which you know has yet to really take off, which is the human machine uh, aspect of things, right? And I was just uh, just finishing reading Dan Brown's Origin. Uh, I don't know if you've read that book, but um, it's fascinating. It talks about evolution of species and and all that kind of stuff, and kind of this next leap being, um, you know, the human machine uh, integration as as we start to embed chips and start to embed things in our bodies, uh, and how we we become connected in that sense, right? And and I think in a lot of ways you're talking about appliances, you know, adding technology and and talking to services. Um, you know, and, and to save save time, essentially for us as people. But you know, in a lot of ways, we're we're also moving in this other direction in parallel, which is you know adding things to ourselves. Um, you know, today we we add them on as as you know smart glasses or other things, um, where we kind of you know they're accessories, but ultimately they become part of us. I think uh, in different ways. I'm not quite ready for it myself, but so I was gonna say, are you ready to embed a chip in you? <laughs> Um, yeah, but I think that's where we're going. Like in, in Sweden right now, there's yeah. um, massive amounts of people that have uh, chips embedded in their in their wrists for ID purposes, um, you know, running around with that. I mean, you know, body modification is, is not a new thing uh, to us as humans. You, you know, tattoos and earrings and piercings and all kinds of things that we do. Um, so it's not such a big leap, but, it, but I think we're getting there where just like we're seeing technology embrace other technology in a machine to machine way uh, for services and like we've just described I think you're gonna see on the other side a human machine interface type of play out uh, as well um, and then how ultimately how those things talk to, all talk to each other so crazy crazy yes yeah all right our final story now uh, jumping over to China Baidu uh, is doing something wacky over here um, uh, in Beijing, they have built a smart cat shelter. Yes, you heard me correct. A smart cat shelter, as in for your favorite friendly feline. Uh, it uses AI technology to verify when a cat is approaching and it opens the door. The cat shelter is heated and it offers cats food and water on cold winter nights. And I have to say to you, like, okay, interesting. Kind of we kind of weird, kind of cool, um, but I I sit there and go like, there's got to be homeless people that are on the streets of Beijing or here in Toronto or in Atlanta or in New York that are cold, that could use a heated uh, shelter with food and uh, and water in it, and probably should take a higher priority than than your local cat. That's just me. That's just You're me. You're stealing but, my uh, speech. Interesting, Feeling cool use speech. of technology, for sure. You know, and they go on. They're like, it's got camera, night vision sensors, cats wandering around at night. It can let them in. You know, it's like, okay. And, and, and they go on to say, well, you know, it gets really cold. It can drop to, you know, minus nine Celsius in Beijing in the winter. And it gets a lot colder here in Toronto, people, just so you know, than that um, on some days. But um, come on, come on, people. Like, let's build some shelters if we're going to build shelters for people. Yes, these are my sentiments exactly when I looked at this story. I felt like, okay, I mean, I'm I'm a friend to furry things, you know. I'm not like the biggest cat person, but you know, I don't I don't want them to be like left out in the cold, but they are felines and they do have fur, and I'm pretty sure that they were like 
created and designed to be living outside for the most part until us crazy people had to domesticate them. <laughs> Point being, <laughs> China has a huge like population and housing problem where there is between like the lower class and the upper class a drastic difference of living situations. People are basically living in cages. I mean, in like five by five cages that are stacked on top of each other in basements of apartment complexes that were um, intended for like uh, shelters, like disaster shelters and things of that nature. So that like, let's maybe you have the reach, you are Baidu, like maybe let's focus on something that is. Yeah. And I get it that you, you've got the technology and you got this capability in there. Yeah. Like, like, like I, I was like, I was kind of shocked. Like, like it went on to say like the, the AI platforms is capable of recognizing 174 different kinds of cats and they can identify different My. things and they can identify uh, like diseases that the cats have and like all kinds of things. Like, and I'm like, great. Like, <laughs> fantastic amazing application of your technology and skills and ai capabilities and all that in, sits in the baidu labs and all of that but come on people like go Look, help people baidu we're going to give you the benefit of the doubt that you were just testing this with you know you were testing on animals first to make sure that you could do this and yeah. now you are going to open it up so we look forward to hearing the story in a few weeks about how you've created human shelters using AI and you can, you know, help with diseases and um, hunger and joblessness, maybe. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. and if you need some charities <laughs> to partner with, I got plenty I can help. I can hook you up to, Baidu. So, yeah, let's go do it. All right. Okay, that's our show for this week. Uh, you've been listening to episode number four hundred and four of this week in location-based marketing. Of course, we'll be back next week with yet another show. If you have story ideas, reach out to us, let us know. We'd be happy to talk about stuff uh, here. If you have feedback, criticism, we want that too. Uh, all of our contact information is uh, at the end of the show here. Uh, thank you for listening and watching, and have a great week, everybody. Bye.